three weeks ago, I preached a message entitled, Don't Miss the Signs. And that was from the chap- chapter 1 of Haggai. Those signs were, Don't Miss the Sign of Atrophy, Apathy, Awareness, and Awakening. And then last week, as I went back into chapter 1, it taught us about the revival that God wants us to experience and how it was a heart change. Did y'all get that? Do you remember that? A heart change that led to a spirit change that led to a life change. And so now, today, we're going to look in chapter 2 at this, at this subject, the God we need. The God we need. Now, we're going to leave that there just for a second. If I were to hand out pencil and piece of paper to you today, and I would say, uh, what is, can you put down on this piece of paper the two greatest needs facing mankind today? What would it be? Well, now, we're in church, and this is a religious gathering, so most of the answers, and now you've seen that on the screen, most of the answers would have something to do with religion. But you know what I'd like to what I'd like to do? I'd like to do that outside the church. What is it that we think that the greatest need when we're not encumbered by, by church? What is it of what Dr. R.C. Sproul said? Go ahead, Ben. Dr. R.C. Sproul said this, What we need is to discover the true identity of God. I want to leave that there and just kind of let it burn in our psyche a little bit. For you see, this is our greatest need. We need to discover this God. And I hate to say this. Today, we have made gods of many things. We in the American culture have made a God of just about anything. And if I were to begin to naming things that people have made God, I would, I would offend half of us, if not all of us in here. For you see, Satan has this knack. He takes something that is good, even good for us. He takes something that is good, and he makes it to something ultimate in our lives. So then it becomes bad, because now it's become the God of our life. Because, please listen to me. Not because I'm saying it, but because the Bible teaches it. Whatever controls your schedule, whatever controls your checkbook, Whatever controls your heart is your God. In fact, in the computer terminology, there's a, there's a term called default. That means when you turn it off, it just autom- when you turn it on, it just automatically goes there. I want you to think about this as we're talking about the God we need today. What is your default? When you're sitting all alone by yourself, where, where does your mind just go? What is your default setting? Where does it go? It might show us a little bit about who our God, who our gods are, who our God is. Sadly, we worship at the feet of so many gods in our culture. And and please listen, these good things that Satan has made into the ultimate thing so it become a bad thing, these, these gods, they may give you a momentary rush in this world. But at the end of the day, Jesus and the prophet said, in that day, they will respond just like those gods on Carmel did when those false prophets 
spent four hours calling his name, cutting themselves. Here's what was said about those gods. There was no sound. There was no answer. No one heard. The God that we need is a God that hears, answers, and responds. And our text today is going to help us discover him. If you will, if you found Haggai chapter 2, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? We read nine verses, the first nine verses. Follow along, this is indeed God's holy word. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. Now, this is what you are to say. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasure, treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I want you to notice something before I pray. Nine verses. Two or three verses, he did not even mention himself. But nine times in six verses, he identified himself as the Lord or the Lord of armies because he wants us to know, he wants us to discover him, the God that we so desperately need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the clarity that we find in it. I pray that today that you'll do a work in our hearts and that we will respond to you to be our one and only God, the God of our life, the God of our heart, the God of our spirit, the God of our schedule, the God of our finances, the God of our families, the God of it all. Because you are our personal Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we're talking about this God we need, I want to refer your attention back. I'm not going to turn there. 
I want to refer your attention back to what we know is a life-changing experience for Moses. We call it the burning bush. You'll find it in Exodus uh, probably 2 and 3. Probably 2 and 3. Now, if you remember, Moses came to that burning bush, and it wasn't consumed, so he knew it was something unusual, and a great voice spoke to him out of the bush. And that voice told him two things. The first thing was, I have heard the cries of my oppressed people in Egypt. So that tells us, are you listening, that God hears our prayer. I have two, two friends right now in the hospital struggling for life from COVID. I'm praying that God does, in fact, hear our prayers, and he does. Second thing I would, he said to Moses, he said, I've heard the cries of the oppressed people. The second thing is, and here's the deal, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and get them out. Now, you can imagine Moses was not really excited about that assignment because back in Egypt, he was still a marked man. There was still a bounty likely on his head because he had committed murder. No statute of limitations. And so if you remember the story, Moses was trying to get out of it. I can't do this, can't do that. And so finally in his last feeble attempt, he said, okay, if I go back, if I go back, and if they ask me what your name is, what am I, what am I to tell them? He said, I am that I am. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I have been. He didn't say I will be. He said I am God the Father. When Jesus came to earth in the New Testament, he continued that seven times. He said, I am. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But hear me, folks. This is the God that we need in our lives. This is the God that I need. This is the God that you need. It is only in Him and through the sacrifice of His Son and through the repentance of our sin and living in Him that we can really find abundant life. Abundant life here, eternal life there. And may I say this to you, the reason that so many people are so miserable inside the church today is they're trying to live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and they're miserable in both. And since I'm out in the country, I just want to say this. You working on your farm, you straddle anything, it's no fun. You see, you see, it's either all in are all out. We may think we need other things. We may think we need money and friends and fame and fortune and comfort and peace and power, but our true need is to have a one-on-one personal face-to-face relationship, day-to-day relationship and friendship with God that is birthed in none other than Jesus Christ. That's the God we need. Now, as we work through this verse, there's some things, there's, as we work through this passage, there's some things that we need to know. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again because I want it to be ingrained. Repetition is the mother of learning. 
The truth is, we need Jesus in our heart, in our lives. And when he comes in, listen, he comes in and he takes over. He doesn't come into your life to take part in your life. And if he doesn't come in and take over, he generally doesn't come in at all. That's, that's the truth that we have trouble getting away from. I can have God on Sunday, but I can do my own thing Monday to Saturday. It doesn't work like that. Matthew 7 tells us that there are many people who expect to be saved. It's going to be lost in that day. The God we need. Now, what, is the, what are the characteristics? I'm going to give you three characteristics from our text today of the God we need. Maybe you've never heard them put quite like this, but I think they're right here in this text. The first thing I want to say to you about God, he is the God of evaluation. I probably should say, should, should emphasize that and say honest evaluation. He's the God of honest evaluation. You see, when we evaluate something, we evaluate it based on our prejudices and our preferences. What we like and what we want and what we think. God evaluates on his preferences and prejudices. But here's your issue. Every prejudice and every preference of God is based on truth. He is truth. And how does he do this? How does he evaluate and help us evaluate ourselves? He asks questions. Have you ever thought about how many questions Jesus asked? Well, don't open your Bible and start looking. Let me just tell you. I read the other day that in the Gospels, Jesus asked over 300 questions. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Do you love me? You see, he asked those questions because he's not afraid of questions. I want you to look here. If you've got, still got your Bible open, there are three questions. They're all that are asked right here. God asks, he goes, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Now, first of all, who remembers? And, and you and I know this house is referring to that massive $4 billion structure of Solomon's temple. It had now been destroyed for 70 years. He he asks, who remembers the glory there? But may I suggest this to you? We people, you and me, we think about the building. We think about the silver and the gold and, and all the, uh, um, and the cedars and, and all the overlay. We think about the massiveness of that great building. But I want to suggest this to you. that I don't believe God wanted to remember the big building as much as the glory of the building. He, he, he wanted to remind them. He wants to remind us of what made that building so glorious. And he simply says, who remembers it? Now, it's been 70 years. So doesn't it make some of us old people feel a little better? It's been a long time. And if you don't know what he wanted them to remember... It wasn't about the building. It was about the glory that filled the building. 
We have trouble getting our minds around this. But when Solomon finished the building, Second Chronicles 6, he prayed a prayer that went something like this. You'd be offended if I prayed it here for us. Lord, this is the Watts translation. Lord, these people do right, follow you, bless them. If they don't do right, if they sin against you, handle them. And if they repent, bring them back to yourself. So now you get to Second Chronicles 7. I'm going to put it on the screen because I want to read just a couple of verses for you. And when Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. Can you imagine that in the sacrifices? But here it is. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now how big, what kind of glory was it? Look at verse 2. The priest were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. All the Israelites were watching. The congregation were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. And when the glory of the Lord comes, when the presence of the Lord falls, how do we respond? Young, old, crippled, healthy. Watch this. They bowed down on the pavement with their face to the ground. They worshiped and praised God. They sang worship and praise. You know what it was? This says, for he is good, his faithful, endure, his faithful love endures forever. That's our song that we sing. The Lord is good and his faithfulness endures forever. Because of the glory of the Lord. He asked him, who remembers? I ask you today, who remembers? Who remembers when you met Christ? Who remembers the glory that filled your soul? Who remembers the presence? Who remembers the joy that came? How about that inexplicable need to tell somebody about what happened to you? Oh, Brother Jerry, that never happened to me. Oh, yeah. We have folks like that. Please listen. If you met the President of the United States, you'd never forget it, whether you like him or not. I met Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter and I, about the only thing we agree in is the name Baptist. That's about it. We don't agree on much of anything else. But I'll never forget meeting him. Sitting there eating at a table. I was sitting over eating at a table. I walked over and spoke to him. Shook his hand. Never forget it. You see, when you meet somebody as significant as the Lord Jesus, you won't forget it. I want to say that again. You won't forget it. Now, if all you did, please listen. If all you did was shake a preacher's hand and walk through the waters of baptism and recite some words that we call the sinner's prayer, and there was no change in your life, there was no meeting of Christ, chances are you're going to come a warning at in that day. Who remembers? Who remembers when they walked with the Lord? Who 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 remembers when they were saved? Who remembers when when they were a, when the Lord was a part of their everyday life? Who remembers when you sensed His presence leading you and guiding you? Do you remember? That's what He's trying to get these folks to do. Who remembers the glory? 
Folks, as a church, we need to remember those days of glory when the presence of God fell over us. And I will say this to you. Remember, they're not going to because they never had it. The only hope of this world is Jesus. And the only hope of people finding Jesus is his church. And his church is made up of you and me. He left it in our hands. It's not for us to make it our preferences and, and our pride. It's for us to make to fulfill his mission. And so the questions go on. It says today, I'm not listening fast enough. Second thing he says, uh, uh, what does it look like to you now? You can move that forward, Ben. You'll be okay. What does it look like to you now? How does it look to you? I suspect that God was using his divine knowledge of their hearts to reveal to them that their faith was in their building, their faith was in their traditions, their faith was in their trinkets, and they missed the rituals and they missed the building as opposed to his very presence. He was getting them to honestly evaluate their lives. I just wonder, is there a person in here who will honestly evaluate your life today? What does it seem like today? The third questionnaire, he says, doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? In the context of our story of the prophet. The new foundation had been laying there for 15 years. It was not nearly the size of that first foundation. The building was not going to be nearly the size. But the question was not in whether the building was bigger or smaller. The question was in the presence and the glory of God. It is always about the presence and the glory of God. It had been decades, when you look at this story, please listen. It had been decades since they had known the glory of God, since they had sensed the glory of God, since they had seen the glory of God, since they had felt the glory of God. It's likely, are y'all listening? It's likely that they had trouble remembering it. I wonder if that's why we can have revival services and not have a real spiritual revival. Because we can't remember, we can't recollect, we can't recall what the glory and the presence of God is like. Folks, we need him now more than we ever needed him before. The God we need, we need him now more than ever before. I remember that old song, I need you more. More than words can say, I need you more than I did yesterday. I need you more than ever before. I need you. I need you more. See, the truth is, we need you more right now than we ever did. And I want to say this, not in my notes, so I'm going to have to say it quickly. Here's the deal. And people are more receptive to talk about the Lord today than they've ever been because COVID has brought into clear view their mortality. 
He's the God of evaluation. He evaluates us. He gets us to evaluate ourselves. The second thing is he's the God of encouragement. The God of encouragement. After he asked these questions, in verse 4 he goes, Even so, the old King James, I think, says, Yet. God says, In spite, in spite of, of what you can or can't recall, what you can or can't feel, let me give you some stuff. Let me just give you some words. And his first words was, be strong. Be strong. Be strong, leaders of the rebel bell. Be strong, priests, Joshua. Be strong, people. He wanted them to be strong. Don't give up. Don't falter. Don't fail. Don't shrink back. Don't go away from the task. Stay the course. This is a whole sermon by itself. If time permitted, we could, we could unpack that in ways that we never dreamed possible. Be strong. Some people, some people have abandoned the call of God from their life and have abandoned the, the, the being strong. They have turned back. And you know what's happened? As the church has then lost its sense of mission, its sense of divine ministry. You see, Christ's mission has not been rescinded. I still believe this. You see the signs up here today? Look over here at number five. I still believe the local church is the hope of the world. If the local church don't do it, it's not going to get done. If you and I don't share the gospel, we're going to have a pagan. Oh, Brother Jerry, do you see how pagan our society is going? Bad decisions? Well, they don't know any better. Those folks who've trusted Christ know better, and it depends on us. Be strong. Don't give in. Don't, go, don't give up. Don't falter. Don't fail. Follow Jesus' marching orders. And what are his marching orders? Did you get it here? I'm looking at you, Brent Slocum. Did you see that four-letter word here? Did you see it? Be strong. Leaders, be strong. Priests, be strong. People, work! I'm picking on Brent because all he ever does is put that long, floppy, ugly hat on and work in the sun. That's all he does. Work! Ouch! Come on, man. It's church. You don't work at church. It's interesting, but the very thing that God designed us to do is the very thing that we try to avoid in his kingdom. We got our lives to live, our things to do, something else. Now, I'm just going to tell you, when I look at this word, I knew somebody was going to raise their eyebrows. Work. I have this internet tool, and it's a subscription service, Bibles, and it has 55 or 56 translations paraphrases, transliterations of the Bible. And so I thought I was going to be cool. And so I pulled this verse up on all translations. Everything I could find, over 50 of them. You know what I found out? You know, the the Hebrew word, do do you know how it's transliterated, paraphrased? Here, listen, let me just work. Over 50 times it's work. And in fact, the ones that don't just use the work, they, they say, get to work, do the work, begin to work, go to work. Because you see, a part, being a part of God's kingdom involves work. We have people who are sitting in the IT right now because we need folks to help us in the work. You see, sometimes it means that you have to do things you've never done before. I need to move quickly because we're almost out of time. But listen, today the work suffers. 
because the harvest is still plenteous, but the laborers are still few. He says, be strong. He says, work. Now, here's your big encouragement. I am with you. I am with you. He says, be strong and work because I'm with you. And the main reason that he is the God we need is because he will be with us. Don't miss this. He helps us evaluate where we are and what we are with a clear picture of our life. And he encourages us to be strong, to work, because he's with us. And you know what else? He is with us because he's not just the God of evaluation, the God of encouragement, but he's the God of engagement. He gets engaged. Jehovah God is the God we need. I have to be careful about this because I'll make people mad with this. Jehovah God is the God we need because he's not passive and he's not impotent. He's not a God who runs at the sign of, first sign of trouble. He's this God who sent uh, Moses to Pharaoh with nothing but a rod. There's a whole story there. We don't have time, but nothing but a rod. He sent a shepherd boy, teenage boy, into battle with nothing but a slingshot and five stones. He sent Mount Carmel with nothing but his faith. But this God always engages. Yes, he's patient. Yes, he's loving, but he always engages. Don't confuse patience and love with passivity. Watch what he does, and we're about to end this thing. First of all, see his power. This is how he engages with his power. Verse, uh, verse 6. Just scare you any, scare anybody at all? I will shake up the heavens. Verse 7. I will shake up all nations. Man, his power. I want you to think about those things that God is shaking up. He don't hesitate. He created heaven and the earth. And in Genesis 1, by Genesis 6, he was sick of, of mankind. And so he sent a flood. He shook the world. Why did he do that? He did that because of, of mankind's wickedness. In his power, he was, he was shaking it up. Now, I could go all through the Old Testament story after story after story. Time doesn't permit. But let me tell you the next time to your mind when he shook the world. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He says, it is finished. And it's like God took the world between his hands and just shook it. Again, the reason was man's wickedness. A little over a month after that crossing, God shook the world again in Jerusalem as he poured his spirit out. And 3,000 people were saved. God has the power to change your world. He has the power to shake your world. He has the power to shake a world, to shake a nation, to shake a person. He can even shake you and I. His power. It's how he engages. His presence. We've been talking about this. His presence is number two. Verse 8 say, 
silver and gold are mine. He was talking to them about that building that they relished so much, and he said, what's in it's mine. Do you know who the silver and gold in his church are today? You're looking at them. You're looking at them. We're his. It's his redeemed people. We're not our own. We are bought with a price. He, he engages us to grow us, to lead us, to direct us, to help us, to love us. We are his, just like our children are ours. His love and his hands extend to us to help us. That's his possession. And now let's end with his presence. Let's end with his presence. It's not just his encouragement, it's engagement. We saw his presence in an encouragement way, but it's his presence that engages us. It's our great need today more than anything else. More than anything else. More than anything else. We need the manifest presence of the Spirit of God in our lives and in this place. We need the manifest presence of God to control all that we do. In verse 4, if you've still got your scripture open, verse 4, he says, I am with you. Well, that's good. That's nice. Verse 7, after shaking the house, he says, I will fill this house with glory. And verse 9, are you ready for this? The final glory, the final glory will be greater than the first. When you've remembered, whatever you've remembered, whatever you've remembered, it's nothing to compare with what I'm going to do, what I can do. Basically, he says, I'm going to shake the house, I'm going to take the house, and I'm going to make the house. Evaluating, encouraging, and engaging. This is the God that you and I need. He's the God that I need. He's the one. He is the one who will stick with us through thick and thin. He is the one who will walk in when friends walk out. He will walk with you through the valley. He will march with you into the conflict. And he's the one who will change your life and save your soul. He is the one who will lead you if you'll let him. He is the God we need. And we begin that relationship with God through none other than His Son, Christ Jesus. It's more, it is a prayer, but it's more than a prayer. If all you have in your salvation is a prayer, you have nothing. And you probably know that. God's probably putting His finger on your heart right now. He's calling you to allow Jesus to come and change you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks to our heart. We pray that today, that if someone doesn't know you in a personal way, that you have impressed on them that you are indeed the God they need. And I pray, Lord, you'll give them the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never invited Christ into your life. When we stand to sing the nail-scarred hand, I'll be here. Just People will let you out.